Pour toi, Kevin. I think I'm on here. I'm going to trust that I am. Uh, I need to move this. It, it might have worked for somebody else, but it doesn't work for me for a moment. Can we give a big um, hand clap offering for those who led in worship this morning? Thank you. Personally, I've learned that a part of coming into the presence of God is hugely a part of starting with worship. And you know, it's not. There's a point for um, for the worshiper where it goes beyond the song. You know, the words of the song may be precious, but there's a time when the presence of God um, takes that song and makes it a new meaning for you. And so. I just want to, you know, before we go any further, I just want to recommend, here's a thought. I don't know if you're a worshiper. I don't know how many of us are worshipers, and this resonates with you, and you can say, "That's I understand exactly what you're talking about. But what I want you to, to consider is this. Early on, when I came to the Lord, I think this was the biggest point in my life, and that was I would have worship songs. There were slow worship songs that ministered to my heart. And when I did, I would just worship until the presence of the Lord was a part of that time. What I mean is, is a physical presence that you recognize is this is God. I would especially recommend this to every brother and sister who can say, I'm on the other side of this cross. That when Jesus died and he was rose again, he, he took that experience and he made it my own. And he rose me from the grave. You know, I was thinking as I was sitting down there, I couldn't help but think about how powerful reflecting back on my life before Jesus, reflecting on those dark, difficult moments for me, and remembering how God brought me out of the grave. You know, isn't, isn't that what we're talking about here? Isn't that a shared experience among all of us, or either, I hope, all of us, if not that, most of us, is that there was a primary place in life where God took you out of your grave. You can say, I was, I was dead in sin. I was lost in sin. And Jesus took me and he, he took that sin out of me and He made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. He literally rose me from my grave. So if you're experiencing that today, then, then every one of these songs resonate with you. And if anything, all you want today is the same thing I do and that's a deeper expression of worship of God. Lord, would you take me closer to you today? And that's my telling you is that, you know what? You don't have to wait for more than what we've experienced right in the moment. The presence of God here was meant to minister to you. You might look at yourself as the outsider wondering, how do I get in? And I'm going to tell you, you don't need to worry about being the outsider when it comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't put anybody on the outside except for those who choose to be. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open to me, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. God's saying, I, I need your invitation. I've already given you mine. So with that said, I want to share something with you I think is a powerful... This has been probably a month. I have been itching to be able to preach this message. I have been so, so anxious to do it. And I know when you look at the title, you're like, how does this relate? And you're about to find out. 
You know, what I believe is this. I believe throughout the whole of the Bible, it is not at the moment when you see Matthew approach that we begin a revelation of the Gospel. We see a revelation of the Gospel and what God was doing, His redemptive heart, all the way at the beginning of Genesis to Revelation. If you can capture that, you will begin to see that God has always been the same God. He does not change. He's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's unique is, is sometimes when we read this, we're like, there's the parallel here. And I saw some parallels I want to bring to you this morning. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. I know it says chapter 8 up there, but I'm going to start you off here real quick in Genesis chapter 7. I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to pray. And then if I can get beyond prayer, I'll go ahead and preach. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. You and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in all this generation. And you shall take with you seven, each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two of each animals that are unclean, and a male and a female. And the seven of each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep and the species alive on the face of the earth. For after the seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, and forty days and forty nights, I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded. Father, I just want to thank you today that we are in the presence of the Lord. Jesus, resurrection means something to us, Lord, who have experienced it in life. Lord, it is something that we need as a revelation to mind. But Lord, we don't want it just a mental thing, Lord. We want it a real thing that is in our hearts. So Jesus, I'm just thankful today, God, that you want to continue to reapply these truths. The Apostle Paul said that he might know the power of his resurrection. And yet, Lord, the resurrection was at work in his transformation. Lord, his conversion. And yet this man saw that there was a never-ending reality to what the resurrection really meant, to, to what it is to have new life inside of you. So Jesus, I just want to pray, Lord, that every one of us would get the fuller and a, com- a more complete revelation of that in our life today. God, there is nothing that you do not want to take us closer to you in and bring new life out of. Lord, I am grateful that there is life and there's even more life. And so Jesus, I pray for that life in us. Lord, we don't need to just call it abundant life. We need to be able to show that it's abundant life. Lord, we don't need a new definition of Christianity. We just need the demonstration of it. And so, Lord, I just want to pray for that right now, that Jesus, that there would be walking in us, living in us, a new demonstration of this reality in our life, Lord, as we go forward from this service. Jesus, I am grateful that there is nothing that troubles us that you are not the answer for. God, there is no ailment, there is no struggle, there is no addiction, there is no bondage of sin, there is no weight of depression that, Lord, has had victory over the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, that You have eliminated all of the power of that for those who would receive You, they could become the sons of God. Lord, that there is the expression and the reality that I don't have to work my way into heaven. I don't have to become a good enough person. Lord, I don't have to make the good outweigh the bad. All I have to do is come to the one who's purchased it through his own sacrifice, lived a perfect life, and become the sacrifice for me. And Lord, I want to live for you every day of my life. So Lord, I praise you that out of that God that you've made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. And we can say we are new because of you, Lord, and being made new every day as a result of that. So we love you, God. 
Let these words resonate. Lord, help me speak them. And I thank you, Father, for the uh, inspiration to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here, I want to share something. This is the context of chapter 7 and chapter 8. I, I believe, just hear me out on this, I believe that if you want the Bible and you want to understand the Bible, do something very simple. Just read it within its context. Study the context that it's written in. We will come in and to have all kinds of different ideas if we stop reading it within its context. Context is simply the story around it. What the story around it helps define what it really means. So in the context here we see God was preserving three things. God was preserving Noah and his family from his judgment on the wicked. Some people view the gospel as only saving from judgment. I'm going to get into this because the gospel doesn't just save us from a judgment. But it's really important that we understand God's position when it comes to sin. If we don't get that, none of the rest of this means anything and makes sense to us. We have to understand that God is righteous. God is holy. And because He's holy, that sin interferes with that holy plan that God created humanity for. And that if you let that go long enough, what it does is simply this. And all of us have been in those situations in life where somebody, like they say, the one bad apple spoils the rest. And it, what destroys the good of society is wickedness even as it dwells within one person. As one person continues to live in sin, live a life so far beneath their created purpose and outside of the authority of God, it begins to begin to wear on society. So much so that in Noah's time, it says that every imagination in the heart of man was continually wicked. Imagine a world like that. That's like not having going to jail. That's like setting them all free and letting them run around town and do whatever they want to do. Imagine how hard it would be to live in a world like that. Here's another part of the context here, and he was restoring all things. So he wasn't just judging, but he was restoring. And then lastly, he was making all things new. All things brand new, completely new, starting all over again. What do we learn from this narrative? God is holy and will justly judge and condemn sin. I know that there's some things out there, and I know there's things being said that are not necessarily true to the nature of God, but we must say that regardless of what those are, this is a fact. This is a fact. The flood is a revelation of the holy and sinless nature of God. God basically coming to the place of that it would no longer be good inside of a holy God to let humanity continually to be so wicked. Something had to be done. God made it possible to escape His judgment. So this is what's really important is to remember that it wasn't just this idea that God's going to judge, but that God is going to make it possible to escape judgment. The ark is a re revelation of the redemptive heart of God, and this speaks of the cross. See, what you want to remember is this, is that the cross was a reflection of the love of God from the beginning. But you want to remember also that God has demonstrated this love before we saw the cross. He demonstrated this this. Again, as I was saying, going back into Genesis, and we see this here, there's this ark. This ark was prepared in such a way as that all who would, 
all who were willing to come into this ark would be saved. Now this is to say that this ark would have been big enough that all of mankind would have come into it. It's just big enough that God knew that all those who would be and were willing to be in the ark could have come into it. It was big enough. It wasn't just big enough for the animals. It was big enough for Noah and his family and all who would. And yet it's peculiar to see a world with an opportunity to be saved from a devastating destruction over their planet. And yet most of them either didn't believe or they mocked it to the place that they stood outside of that ark. Now, I don't know about you and me, but to me, it seems like this is what I would want to do. I want to say, you know what? Maybe there's something to this. As, as weird, as obscure as it seems, it seems like there might be something to this. So why not? Why not just try it? And interestingly, the world was so dark that it didn't even give it an attempt. Strange. The ark reveals the just and merciful nature of God. So this is important because you've got to realize that there's something that's got to protect two sides to the nature of God. He has to be just. He can't allow sin to run rampant constantly. And at the same time, He wants to reveal this nature of His mercy to humanity. And both of these have to be completely and fully um, protected and honored. And so God did that by giving them an ark. So the ark reveals the just and merciful nature of God. And He does not prevent His judgment, but makes provision. Listen to that. He doesn't stop the judgment because if He stopped the judgment, it would show that He was not just. So He makes provision to escape judgment to show that He's merciful and that He's just. There was one way to be saved and there was room enough for everyone who was willing. I want you to look in Genesis chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. I gather you're still there because I had you there just a few minutes ago. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. I want you to catch that. The Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. Some of you kind of getting where I'm going with that. Genesis 7, 15 through 17. Okay, so the Lord shut him in. You want to begin to see something here and God begins... What you notice is this, throughout Scripture, you'll see God do identical things. And when it comes to Jesus, Paul uses a term very frequently throughout the Bible, and it says, in Christ. He's in Christ. In Christ Jesus. Ultimately, what you're seeing here is God always makes provision to shut us in and keep us safe. If you understand that He doesn't want you to perish, He doesn't want the sin and the guilt of sin and what that's done in society, and your tremendous criminal record for living in sin to make you finally and fully guilty before the judgment seat. He doesn't want you to stand at the end of life given an account and being finally and fully, not acquitted, but given the, um, the verdict of guilty. 
And, and so He wants to shut you in. You understand? He, he's always wanted to keep a people safe and shut them in and, and make sure that there was no way that once they got in, there was no way that they could not be secure. There was a sense of certainty and security within the shut-in. Remember that this was, this was like sealed tight. So the idea was once you get in, it's not about whether you want to get out or not. You won't want to get out. But the reality is, is that you're safe. So the shut-in, God provides an assurance and a certainty that we will not be condemned. You know what? He did the same thing when He chose to make Jesus Christ the final and full sacrifice for our sins. He wanted to make a way to shut you in. He wanted to make a way so that you knew that you would be safe. He wanted to make a way so that you knew that there was security. That no matter what happens in your world, no matter what tragedy you face, no matter what difficulty comes down the road of life, no matter what despair seems to find its way around in the difficulties that you experience personally, He wanted to make sure that you knew that you could be shut in. The ark lifted up. Jesus made this statement in John chapter 12, verse 31 through 33. I hope that some of you caught that. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So you've got to remember what's John chapter 12, verses 31 through 33. You've got to remember that God finds a way to lift you up above. So this is the thing that we have to remember is that this idea of God's final judgment for those who will not receive His, His plan of safety, the security that He's provided for you, there's a certain fearful looking for of that day. There is no security. The Bible seems to continuously erode away every kind of security and hope that a person who lives in sin has tried to tell themselves, I'm a good person down indeed, or all these things, or find, try and find ways to, I'm going to be good enough, or, or whatever might be the case. They have to realize this is a fearful day for those who don't know the Lord. It's a fearful day. But it's a glorious day for those of us who know that God has provided. You see, this is the thing. As surely as somebody who lives in sin ought to feel the weight of their conscience pulling them down and weighing down on them, as surely as that, we should know who've let gotten in the ark ourselves, we should know what it means to be completely and totally secure. Absolute assurance. I am not going to face that day in fear. Now, is this, so, so we have this part where God gave an ark. And what is our ark today? When we're talking today on the Resurrection Sunday, what is our ark? Anybody know? I think I'm hearing it. There we go. Jesus is the ark. There is no other means God has given. He's not going to, in generations come, provide something outside of Jesus. Jesus is the final. What I love about this story is it shows us that God wanted people to know from the very beginning that there was a salvation plan in His heart. There is a redemptive force at work within God. Redemption means simply that God wanted to buy us back. That God wanted to bring us out of this darkness. And you know, this is the thing, that the sin itself, despite the condemnation, is the drain and the heaviness and the hardship that it brings. Now I want to bring you to something else. I want you to bring you consider this 
this part of the story. So now we have many days, the water rising, all of humanity and all of creation being brought to death. Everything is totally annihilated at this point. And now this is it's stopped raining and the ark is coming down and beginning to rest upon the mountain. And now I want you to read here, look in uh, Genesis chapter 8. We're going to look at 5 through 7. And as that's coming, there's a couple things that God has having Noah do. And here we have in verse 5, And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And the tenth month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. And he also sent him out. Oh, wait, I'm going to stop there. Seven. Okay. So he sent, I'm actually, I'm going to go into verse eight because I want you to think about this because he didn't just send out a raven. He also sent out a dove later on. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. So you see two things that are happening here. You see that Noah is sending out a raven to start with. And then you see also that he sends later on a a dove. And the, the two of them do exactly the same thing, but it's measuring at what point it's time. It's measuring how close he's getting to being able to get out of this ark. Ultimately, that's as, as much as I can make of it. So the raven goes out, and he's going out to see if the waters have receded to a certain point. But the dove on a further point. Now, what we know about a raven is this, is a raven is really a ravenous burst, bird that goes and feeds off of dead flesh. Okay? I see some suspense out there, wondering what, where I'm going with that. He goes out and feeds on dead flesh. <clears throat> so the first thing that God does for him is, now, I want you to know this. At the end of the story, God tells him, it's time to get out of the ark. So what's the importance of the raven and the dove? So here's the importance. God is so good and holy that He never just redeems us from condemnation and judgment without moving us toward a complete restoration. See, some of us got stuck in this thing that we just believed that after I became a Christian and I yielded my life to Jesus, that meant that when I die, everything's going to be good. But what you didn't realize is that Jesus didn't stop there. Now, some, most of us, I hope, have. But the re- reality is that He didn't just stop at ending the grief and the pain of the guilt of what we've done. He's making all things new. See, this is the nature of the whole of it, is that God wants to reveal to us the nature of it so that the raven is sent out to find dead flesh. And what we find in the Scripture in Ephesians, we find Him talking about in in other places in the Scripture that God has taken and He wants us to die to the old nature, the old man, the way that we were before we surrendered our life to Jesus. So there's a work being done inside of you. Now here's James as an old man, okay? You're like, well, you're old enough now, right? No. Okay, so the old... James 
one of the struggles that I had in my life is, is that I had become really depressed. I had become focused on the world around me. The environment in my home, the alcoholism in my home, had drawn all the hope of life outside of me. And I remember those dark days of thinking in my mind of what it would look like, what, who would be there gathered at my grave? Who would be thinking about me and my death? Would be people be in tears? And that was the morbidity of the way that I was thinking about myself. There was a lostness to who I was. There was a darkness that had gotten so deep in my heart that I began to dress differently. I began to have an outward look that fit the way that I was feeling inwardly. And all I could say was that I had had enough of the lifestyle of alcoholism in my home. I had come drained of watching, you know, what was at the peak of the hope of life was my mom finally being separated from my dad and his abuses at the time. But I remember that it didn't last long and finally that darkness finally found its way again from one boyfriend to the next boyfriend. And not one of them was really better in nature than the other. And it just repeated the darkness that I struggled with in life. And it kind of came to the point that I was collecting knives. I didn't have guns, but I had knives. And I didn't know what the real purpose was it for. But what I remember was, I remember that it just got darker. And I would walk. And if the day was sunny, my mind was gloomy constantly. Well, that was the old me. See, you couldn't have... You couldn't have told me, well, Jesus went and died on the cross. He forgives you of your sin. And that would have done the job for me. Because I was desperately broken. I was desperately in a world that needed hope, love, and restoration. And so there was something inside of me that needed to die. There was a side to me that was attracted to being depressed constantly. There was a side to me that was drawn, almost like it was seductive, to become more and more dark in my mindset. Now, I wouldn't have told you that then, but I walk out of it now and I say there was something that was like birthing inside of me and growing and it needed to die. And the mindset that I had at the time, the way that I looked at my world, the way that I felt about humanity, the way I looked at my mom and dad. And you know what was interesting about that state in my life? I didn't have an experience in church. I was never given an opportunity I was given a few opportunities, but the only time I went to church was to hang out with friends. I never really went to church for any more reason than that. So here I was not only that, but the morbidity of my mind was to take something that was wholesome and good and look at it as just a way to be with a friend. I didn't see God in it. I didn't see my deliverer. I didn't see my Savior. I didn't see the one who wanted to make me new and deliver me from this inner destruction that was inside of me. But eventually something started to become clear. The light started to break through. And I remember, see, this is the thing, if you had met me back then, you would have approached me and said, he's, he's not approachable. I don't even know how to talk to him. He's just like, he doesn't say anything when you talk to him. He's always off in the back corner by himself. And that was me. And many more ways to describe the, the person that was there, but I think I've given a, a clear enough definition. Well, I remember one man coming up to me and he would have what they had, a promise card. And it was like a track. And I don't know if any of you know what the promise If you, you know what a promise card is, raise your hand. Because that was back in the day. Well, it was one of those, like, it was kind of almost stapled together kind of thing. It had those little ridges and you pulled it apart. And inside it, it gave a promise of the Bible and then gave a little bit of a, 
tell you about that promise. Well, they used to hand him out to everybody. Well, he handed him out to me, but when he did, he would make this statement. He would look at me right in the eye and he'd say, are you happy? And no, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy at all. But I needed somebody that looked at me, somebody that would approach me, somebody that wasn't like, you know what, he's inapproachable, but I'm going to approach him anyway. And I remember that man, there was something different. There was something different. And when he would share his testimony, he shared how God had taken him from alcoholism. You know why that was so important? Because in my life, I hadn't seen a man who'd been delivered from alcohol. And I, and, and I heard him tell his story and how vibrant there was this one man that I can't, I, don't, I can't look at you and see that man. You're so different from what you're describing to me. And then share with me this transformation, how his marriage was restored, how the desire for alcohol had gone out of him, and how he was in 100% full pursuit of Jesus. And this whole complete change in lifestyle and mentality had gotten inside of him, and he was sharing it with me. And see, this is the thing, is that I believed it. And it was true. And I started thinking, you know what, this, beyond him, and I started thinking, well, what about his story becoming my own? Now, it's not alcohol I'm depressing with, but it's just as much a, 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 an evil in my life. I need to be restored from this. You know what? I realized this. I wasn't restored from depression by overcoming depression. you got to hear me on this. I was restored from depression by looking to Jesus. The more I saw Him, the more He was revealed to me, the easier it was to lose these feelings. And all of a sudden it's like, how come I feel as light as a feather? How come the weight of my mind isn't there anymore? And it's all of a sudden it just kind of dawns on you. Like, what happened? What happened to this whole thing? It's because I got close to Him. But I spent countless hours trying to get into that presence to figure out what it was all about. And I remember, you know what, this is my first invitation to the presence of God. It wasn't in my own room or even by my own experience. It was in that man's house. There's a presence that Christians carry with them. God showers us with that touch. So there was a need to die to something. You know, it wasn't just that I needed life. It's need I needed to die to something. And so here we have God sending out the, the raven to show to Noah that the flesh is dead on the earth. There is the judgment has finally finished its course. But also that the ark has done what it's supposed to do. Because in the end, when we look at the ark, is that it preserves us from judgment, but it brings us back into a place of the old has passed away and all things have become new. Can you look back on your life and say that when I came to Jesus, some old things went away? I know Joseph it has. I know when I talk to Mike it has. I know when I talk to Amy it has. I know when I talk to Will it has. When I listen to many of your stories in Julia, and some of you I would say is this, because I know your story, you're not at all the same person that you described you used to be. And it's so beautiful. But it's because something died inside of you. This evil person that was there, that was always contentious in the world, dark in its own frame, is gone and it's died. There's a piece of you that no longer can live. And you know why? Because in order for it to be new life, the old has to die. You can't be the same person anymore. And you stayed in the ark and sent out the raven. 
So here I want to say this. It is within Christ we learn how to die to a sinful, lustful flesh. See, he stayed in the ark. You get what I'm saying? He wasn't out of the ark in the moment. He stayed in the ark. It's in Christ that we, we learn how to let go and die to the flesh. The more you know God, the deeper in this presence that you've been, the more you're going to know how to die to the, the flesh, the lust of the flesh. The love to gratify self just to make yourself happy in all of the end and pursuit of life. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with their passions and desires. Galatians 5.24 Those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their passions and desires. Excuse me. We will not rely on our own perception outside of Christ. You know what's interesting? He sends him out and then it comes back. and sends it out again. And this happens multiple times with the raven and the dove. But finally, when the raven finds a resting place, he's, then that phase is over with. And, but you notice this, that he has to stay in the ark without having any further outward revelation. He just has to stay in the ark. The raven is what's helping him know what's going on, giving him the idea of the timeline. The raven was God's way of making Noah rely on him. Some of us want new life without dying to the old. Learning to rely on Him. See, a lot of us are struggling because it's like, well, how do I do this? What do I do differently? And what you need to do is just rely on Him. The dove. So I want to go to the dove because this is where the whole message... So what we see in the raven is the cross. But what we see in the dove is the resurrection. I didn't get any amens on that, but I know I should be. Okay, so let's look here. In uh, back in chapter 8, wherever I was. Okay, and then verse 11. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the six hundred. Six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. So the dove, the resurrection. See, if Jesus had stayed in the grave, you couldn't be redeemed from your sin. You understand, this is a bigger thing than just, well, I'm going to the I'm going to the judgment, you know, I'm going to the courtroom and I'm finally going to get acquitted of all everything that I did. This is that I never want to go back to the same old life again. So the dove is the final finish to this whole thing, and the nature of God is revealed in the last and final stage of his redemptive nature. God never does a partial work of which we would he would leave his initial deliverance incomplete and his ultimate salvation unfinished. Just want to say that one more time. The nature of God is revealed in the last and final stages of redemptive nature. God never does a partial work of which would leave his initial deliverance incomplete or his ultimate salvation unfinished. See, if, if this hadn't, there wasn't this final piece to this, it would say that he didn't finish what he had begun. He didn't just begin to destroy the evil that was around. He wanted to create that which was new. This is his redemptive nature. 
So the dove is sent out to find new life. That's the difference between the dove and the raven. The raven finds out what's dead. The dove goes to find what's new in life. So the dove is going to continue to come back until there's new life and new growth come out of this. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 and 17, if you'll turn there, I want you to read this. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 and verse 17. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what we're talking about is this newness of life. That God in His final stage, this is what it's all about. The whole thing is about creating new life and giving you a new beginning. And so it's not just a new beginning, but this continued new life that comes through Jesus. And so Paul talks about this resurrection. And he says that I might know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. So he's like always and constantly in the state of mind that I want to enter into what the resurrection means. Listen to me. We pray to God for something. We say, Lord, please, in my life, restore this. God, I pray that You will help somebody else. I can see they need help. And we pray for somebody sincerely and genuinely. But why do we expect that prayer to be answered? On what basis? Because we prayed it? Because God is good? Or because God made a way that made it so that it was secure for Him to do it and and an assurance for us to believe Him for it? So when you approach God for something and you have this certainty and this faith that's unquenchable and you know for sure somehow there's this inner sense God's going to do this. I know He's going to do it. And then later on, you, you, you see it happen. And the promise is fulfilled. And it's as real. And you prayed about it. And God ministered that in your spirit. And it's actually happened. You need to reflect back on the resurrection. That didn't happen for any other reason but the resurrection made it so that when I pray, I could have a sense of certainty. And God says this, if we pray anything according to His will, Back up there for a moment. Back up for a second and think about your prayer life. The things that you've asked God to do. The things that you were unhappy because it didn't seem that they were answered. And just step back and ask the question, did you ask according to the will of God? And then where's the foundation that faith is a certainty? And and Paul said it this way and it was powerful because he made it the statement. He said, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus just stayed in the grave, and they lied about Him coming back to life, if that actually didn't happen, then we are of most men, of all men, most miserable. And we're still in our sins. That's why today is such an awesome day. Because those of us who know what it feels like to have, you know what I'm talking about, that time in life, where like it's not just this darkness of depression, but now I'm a new creation and the sin is gone. And now I'm a new creation in Christ. 
And this nature of His love is at work within my heart and my spirit constantly. So here's a few thoughts I want you to think about. He stayed in the ark and sent out the dove. So He did the same thing with the dove. It is in Christ, not only that we learn how to die to the flesh, but we learn how to live holy lives. It is in Christ. The dove returns, and this is the trust is central to all that God does. So when he returns, he's just waiting for whatever happens to help him know where is God's timeline in all of this. Remember that God wants to have a return time for you. He wants you to pray, and he wants to have those return times, but there's times when it's not going to be a return because God's moving you to a new place. The dove does not return, so eventually, just like the raven, he does not return. And it is a call to permanently leave our old life and join him in the new life. Permanently leave what I've been in the past and join him in the new life. See, what's unique is is that he finally opens up the ark and he leaves the ark. And I, I was thinking to myself, for this to be complete, Lord, it seems hard for me to talk about him leaving the ark because it's everything is in Christ. But I realized something in the moment. I realize that it's not just me and him, but it's him and me. See, he can, we can leave the ark because the same security in the ark is still secure in us when we leave outside of it. See, there's the security that Jesus is not just, I'm not just in him, but he is in me. And the power of that is, is that, you know, the uniqueness of there's times when I'm praying and why do I feel this sense of security? How is it that God has communicated something beautifully to my heart? And I know it's Him. Because there's the life within. God is working inside of me. He leaves the ark. It is in Christ and in me, not just me and Him, that defines the reality and the nature of the resurrection. See, this is the thing, is, is that it's, it's mere theology. Listen to me. It's mere theology until it becomes a personal reality. See, either we right now we are a testimony of the resurrection in our life, and I just thought about this, and I like I think there's a hoot and there's a holler in this place. I think there's a few people who want to shout to the top of their lungs. Then the reason why I say that is because this is your greatest joy. Amen. This is the point of your greatest pleasure on earth, and we've had some unique and amazing things that happened to us in this life, and we've had some very devastating things that happened to us in this life. But of the most greatest joys in life, we go back to, and it's like, this is the thing. I was like, I've had tried to think about, what would my life look like if I didn't have that turning point with Jesus? I remember going to high school and having some of my kids and, and the, some of the friends that I was hanging out with doing drugs at, this, at the time. Now, I never got into them, but I had wondered, would I have stayed that course? Would I have finally given in to that way of life? What would, it, would I have finally let that depression roll over to suicide? What would have come of me? But I can tell you this, every time I think about that, it draws me back to. And there was a time with my family, I have told you guys this many times, but that my wife and kids were in the car coming over Snow Hollow Hill, coming back from a trip to Montana. I was not in the vehicle at the time. And they'd gotten through all the S-turns, and it was still kind of like the weather right now, still snow off to the side, but the road was somewhat clear. And the car went out of control and went over the embankment. And there's many things that happened. It flipped, it, went, it turned and landed on its wheels on, to go in the opposite direction on, in the middle of the hill. Every one of them unscathed. And there was no tree to stop it. 
Everything about this was completely miraculous. But what I had to do when I got home, she said, you can't even begin to imagine. And so when I walked and I saw where it landed and she showed me, it didn't stop there for me. Because what happened to me was eventually I started thinking about what if all the could have been. What if she had went off up there? What if it had been somewhere else? This could have been totally different. And yet this is what I got. And I'm looking at the miracle, but sometimes, folks, in order to realize the power of the resurrection, look back at the grave you came from. Remember the life that God delivered you out of. Remember and also think about what He wants to do in your life. And all of that in mind, just remember what could have been. And just highlight one moment. You're still breathing. You still have a moment where you can... You still have breath in your lungs and you still have vibrance in your body and you're not facing the, the final stages of life on a deathbed. So while you have breath inside of you, think about what is God's next step in His resurrection purpose for your life. Now this is what's powerful for me because my mind stops at a certain place. When I think about my James's dream of life, what James would like, you know, and I might go to something that just seems like it's very earthly and it stops at some point. But God's view of your life, listen to me, God's view of your life is based upon the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My favorite scripture in all of the Bible is Romans 8.32 and it says, He that spared not his own Son, the infinite, eternal Son of God, with everlasting life, He that spared not His own Son, put Him in a human body, brought Him here on this earth, and then in the final stages of it, let Him die the most cruel human death ever evented in that time. And that was the death of the cross. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. Individually, God looks at you through the eyes of what Jesus did on the cross. How shall He not with Him freely give us all things? Sometimes I have to step outside of this pulpit, walk outside of this building, and look at the majesty of those mountains. And I think that same God who created that mountain made the ultimate sacrifice so that He could renew and recreate me and make me new every single day. See, this is the thing. We're not talking about a, a, a temporal God. We're talking about an infinite, omnipotent being, a creator that created you with His purpose in mind, His destiny for your life, and with the same emphasis and power that He just breathed this earth and creation. He wants to breathe His creative forces into your life and recreate where those, there's those moments, listen to me, there's those moments and I know that you have that despair that goes over your mind and you're like, I don't know if this is all that life has to offer. And when you're having those moments, step back one more moment and look at the majesty of what your God has created and remember, remember that in the resurrection, He made sure that He could shut you in. He wanted to secure His will in your life. He wouldn't have made the sacrifice to put Jesus on the cross 
If this is about losing you part way, he that began a good work in you will perform it in the t- until the day of Jesus Christ. You understand, sometimes there's those days, that heavy weight, that just, I don't know, it drags me into the prayer closet, and I don't know how to get through this in the moment. But that God has a creative purpose, and you're looking towards something else. And I was talking to my wife earlier this week, and this really hit me. This really hit me. What's the resurrection? The resurrection is a context. This is a context. This is to show humanity. No matter what's going on, your greatest joys and your your hardest moments of grief, this is the new context. This is what you look at. This is what you look at when you're going through life. Your happiest moments a reminder of God's blessings provided through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your most crushing moments that you don't know how to get beyond the despair remind you that the resurrection will suit you for that day of deliverance and hope. And even though in this moment you're downcast, God's going to lift you up. God's going to build up that record. And you can say there's things in my history and my life it feels like it's just like a, a constant agony of things that I'm going to remember. I'm never going to forget that experience. I'm never going to forget what happened there. You're never going to forget how you hurt somebody in your past. And all of those things seem to haunt you in your presence, and in your present in the moment. And God has a way of letting us have this new context and looking back at it. And it's simply this. It's that man that said, there's two men. One of them began to just boast about himself and his accomplishments. And the other one hung his head low and beat his chest and said, Lord, I'm not worthy. And there was another two men. There was two men standing next to Jesus on the cross. And one, in the same manner, began to deride Jesus and speak against Him. And the other man simply said, I am not worthy, but that you would remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, remember this, know this, that today you will be with me in paradise. And ultimately, if you think about this, You're hanging here on a cross. Your final day has not come. The stages and that difficulty of what it's going to feel like to have your body come to that stage of death and this grueling state that that's in. Just remember this, that you're going to be with me today. You're going to be with me today. When it's all said and done and all the miles of life and everything that we've experienced on this side of eternity. And I don't know... Some people have had some tragic things. Some people are missing limbs from experiences in war. Others have gone through other tragedies that we don't, can't even begin to explain. The loss of loved ones, near and dear. And yet all of that is a reminder to tell you, I can't cure the pain of the moment. I can't tell you that it's going to be easy for you in, in, when you think of it. But I can tell you that you can look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember that He hasn't just resurrected for the moment. But there's a resurrection in the future. But there's a resurrection in the future. And you know, I think that the power of that is, is that when we pray, this is, the, this is the glory of it. God, I want the best. I want the best. I want the best because I know that you paid a tremendous price. And this is about you. Lord, can you do something in my life that when people see a miracle, God, see that my relationship with somebody is restored. God, that you see that relationship, those brokenness mended again. Would you use that 
Would you beautify my relationship with my wife and just make it better every day? Would you make me a more remarkable man? The man that I never thought I could be for her on a daily basis. Let her wake up every day saying, I don't even recognize this man. He gets better and better every day. Lord, would you do that with her too? And would you do that because this isn't about us? And I know it's going to be one of the, it's going to be the, the best bliss of life it could ever offer for me. But it just seems like that's the second rate thing here. The real thing is, is that Jesus, this is the resurrection happening here. This is the resurrection. The more we look like Jesus, the less we have bitter arguments and struggles with one another. Now we look at the church and we say, this is the resurrection here. The more we look like we're unified, the more we're beautifully attached toward one another, the more God deals with us in harmonizing us in humility and breaking down our pride and bringing us into those relationships uniquely and only looking like what Jesus could accomplish. The world is going to stand and they're going to come in this place and somebody that doesn't know Jesus is going to say, you guys are something else. You know, at the restaurant today, you know what I saw? I saw... Something remarkable. I saw one of the waitresses say, you guys were so pleasant. Your kids are amazing. The resurrection. It's the resurrection. They're not that way because they're perfect. They're not that way because they're always that way. They're that way because of the resurrection. And when I see them in their worst, I'm praying to Jesus because, Lord, you made promises for my children. But that's because you're the resurrected Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I just can't help but feel like this is supposed to be for you. This is all about you. We can't have the corruption of hypocrisy making its way through the church constantly and into the lives of Christians because that's going to be the way you look to people in our world. So God, you know some of these struggles I have. Things that I don't want to tell anybody about and that I don't tell anybody about. God knows yours too. And He wants you to look at the resurrection. Because you've got you to understand this. The most powerful thing God could do is not split the Red Sea. The most powerful thing God could do is not raise a dead man. The most powerful thing God could do is resurrect Jesus Christ for our sake. That's the most powerful thing. You're like an omnipotent God. What is the ultimate powerful thing that God can do? And He's already shown it to us through the resurrection. That's why we can hear in Romans it says that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a tremendous thing. That's a tremendous thing. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, this is what I want to do. I want to close. As I'm, I'm praying here, I want to have the worship team come up. And I want to make you, give you an opportunity to come and spend some more time in the presence of the Lord.